Amen, amen. All right, well, good morning, Transit Church. How's everyone doing? Wave, if you can hear me, I see that hand, I see that hand. Just kidding, I can't see you from where we're at. Um, well, thank you for tuning in with us this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick, one of the uh, pastors here at the church. And today's Palm Sunday, so what we're going to be doing is, over the next two weeks, is telling us the greatest story that was ever told, the story of Easter this Sunday and next. And so if you have your Bibles with you, turn to uh, Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. Uh, this is the triumphal entry of King Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, roughly a week before he would be arrested, crucified, and resurrected. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to read this together. I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive on in. Luke 19, starting at verse 28. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent uh, uh, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And I love verse 40. And Jesus said, he, uh, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. Please join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into this text. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Just so grateful, Lord, uh, uh, to, to gather with the saints today and collectively sing, whether here or at home, that, that, that we've tasted and seen that you are good, and that, and that uh, you're a good Father who has given us all things in Christ Jesus. And, and, and Jesus, you are our everything. And so I love that song. I love that we were able to, to proclaim uh, your praises and not let the rocks cry out in our, in, our, in our place, Lord Jesus. But you're worthy. You're worthy of our praise this morning. So I pray, um, Holy Spirit, that you would come with, with your message and your word this morning. Uh, have your way with our hearts and our minds. Uh, lift up and magnify Jesus this morning. Would he increase and would I decrease? And uh, we just pray all this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, hey, there's a lot here in this text, but um, there's three things we're going to hone in on, and there's three things that we see in this text. And one is the lordship of Christ. Two is the humility of Christ. And third is the invitation of Christ. So the first thing that sticks out to me in this text is the lordship of Jesus. What we uh, learn in the last week, this is the last week of Jesus' earthly life, uh, he leaves now little to no room uh, for doubt or ambiguity about his identity, who he was and what he came to do. So to recap this text, what we see here is that Jesus is staying 
uh, in the town of Bethany, roughly a little less than two miles east of Jerusalem. Bethany was the, the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And what we learn in John's uh, gospel is that uh, moments prior to where we're at in our text today, uh, the Palm Sunday, that Lazarus was resurrected, raised from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And given Bethany's proximity to Jerusalem, word about uh, Jesus laser, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead spread kind of like wildfire throughout the region and into Jerusalem. And what we know about Jerusalem in the last week of Jesus' life is that the population would swell to three times its normal size. Not a lot of people doing social distancing in Jerusalem during Passover week. This is the week of Passover where thousands of pilgrims would have flocked to Jerusalem to commemorate this event. And so there's this palpable, tangible excitement in and around Jerusalem about this Jesus. And with that excitement are whispers and rumors uh, about this Jesus who can raise the dead, who can heal the sick, who can cast out demons, as one who teaches with authority. And with those whispers and those rumors, I think there's, I think, I think people, there's this, there's this thinking, this belief of, of, could this be the day? Could we see that this is the guy, that this is the Messiah who centuries prior the prophets told us about? This, this Messiah who would come through the line of David, and he would set us free from our oppressors and reestablish the kingly rule of God over his people? Is this Jesus the Messiah? Is, 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 the, is, is, is our, our, our centuries of waiting over, and are we going to be able to witness that? with so, so in Jerusalem, there's this palpable, tangible excitement, and uh, what we see in our text in, in Luke 19 is that the wait was over, and the time had come, because this is in Luke 19, this is Jesus making a bold, audacious claim that I am the Messiah. I am who the prophets told of. And so what we see here is that the wait is over, and Jesus in Bethany gives his, uh, two of his disciples, he gives them pretty, uh, pretty exact instructions to enter a certain village where they're going to find a, a certain uh, young donkey that had never been ridden before, and Jesus was going to ride on that donkey into the city of Jerusalem. And there's some debate here on... Uh, on Jesus knowing the, the ins and outs of the village and, and, and this donkey. Uh, some biblical scholars think this was intentional preparation of Jesus and something it was divine revelation, like Jesus somehow divinely knew that the, the village and the location of the donkey, so on and so forth. Um, and so the, the former view of intentional preparation would be Jesus going on to enterprise rentadonkey.com, choosing the, the compact donkey that never been ridden before, didn't get insurance uh, over that rental because if the donkey broke a leg, Jesus would just heal him and then return the donkey in a full tank of gas. Um, and then what he did it, with that view was Jesus printed out the, the enterprise rented donkey reservation and gave that to the disciples to go into that, that village. The other, uh, I, think it's, I don't think it's that. I think it's the latter. I think it's divine revelation here because when the disciples follow the instru exact instructions of Jesus here, and they start untying the young donkey, this colt. The, the owner of the donkey comes out and it's like, what are you doing? Why are you taking my, why are you stealing my donkey? What are you guys doing? And I love what they say. I love what they say here. The Lord, Jesus told them to say this. The Lord, the Lord has need of it. Note what is not said here. It's not rabbi, the rabbi has need of it. The prophet has need of it. No, the Lord has need of it. The designer, the manufacturer of this donkey, the creator, the true owner of this donkey wants to borrow it 
and, and, and you're going to give it to him, essentially. And as I was, as I was studying this uh, text, prepping for my sermon, I couldn't help but, but think to myself, why would this guy give his, his donkey to two guys who were untied? Like, what is happening here? And then I had this thought. I was like, man, if I was, if I was a Tesla owner, say I owned a Tesla car, which would be awesome, um, and two disciples of Elon Musk knocked on my door. They had the credentials, and they said, hey, and they said this, Elon Musk wants to test drive your Tesla, I would be like, absolutely, here's the keys, and that, I'm going to tell all my friends that, that Elon Musk sat in this, in this Tesla, right? And as long as I get his autograph and a selfie with him once he's done, when he returns it, then we're, we're good. I think that's exactly what's happening here, is that this was a no-brainer for the owner of this donkey. Where you're saying, you're saying that you, you are the disciples of Jesus, and, and the Jesus, this coming Messiah, wants to borrow my donkey, my young colt? Absolutely. Here's the keys to the car. I, you know, I'm gonna, this is amazing. I can't wait to tell all my friends. And so the disciples they return with this young uh, colt that had never been ridden before. They take off their cloaks and they make a saddle for Jesus out of their cloaks. And then Jesus begins his triumphal entry as king into Jerusalem, starting from Bethany. Bethany, again, was just a little less than two miles east of Jerusalem. Jerusalem sat on a hill. It would go down into the Kindron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, and Bethpage and Bethany kind of sat on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus began in Bethany, then Bethpage, then down the Mount of Olives, Kindron Valley, and up uh, westward in his commute up to Jerusalem. And his mode of transportation for his big day for his coronation was to ride into Jerusalem on what was essentially a miniature horse. And this is the second thing we see here. Yes, in our text, we see the lordship of Christ. Jesus is making a bold proclamation that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And then secondly, we see the, that this king is a humble king. We see the humility of Christ here. And I love what Tim Keller says uh, about this. This is what Tim Keller says. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem... People laid down their cloaks on the road in front of him and hailed him as a king coming in the name of the house of David. This type of parade was culturally appropriate in that era. A king would ride into town publicly and be hailed by cheering crowds. But Jesus deliberately departed from the script and did something very different. He didn't ride in on a powerful war horse the way a king would. He was mounted on a polos, that is, a colt or a small donkey. Listen to this. Here was Jesus Christ, the king of authoritative, miraculous power, riding into town on a steed fit for a child or a hobbit. I love that. I love what Tim Keller says there. Here is the king of miraculous power, power to heal the sick, raise the dead, and he's riding into town on a steed fit for a child or a hobbit. And the image we get is that for two miles from Bethany, down the slope of the Mount of Olives, up towards the gates of Jerusalem, Jesus, there's this grown man riding essentially a miniature horse with his feet almost scraping the ground on his way into the city. And begs the question, why would... Why would Jesus choose to do this? Why not, man, get the uniform, the sword at the hip, the, the white horse, the, you know, and, and march victoriously into the city that he was going to establish his reign and rule from? And I think the reason, I think there's two reasons for that. One is that this was, a, this was prophetic symbolism of Jesus. This was a prophetic fulfillment of, uh, of what all the prophets foretold of, of how this Messiah would enter into Jerusalem. And then two, it's humble identification with humanity. So the first thing we see is this prophetic fulfillment, this prophetic symbolism. Zechariah 9.9 9 
says this, Zechariah 9.9, written 500 years before this day in history. 500 years. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. That's the beauty of this text, church, today, is the triumphal entry of Jesus entering into Jerusalem is the king coming for you, coming for us to set us free from the curse of sin and death. That's good news for us today. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 500 years earlier, the Lord, through the prophet Zechariah, gave a crystal clear sign of the coming Messiah. He would enter Jerusalem triumphantly as a righteous king, having salvation, and yet, and yet, this king would come humbly mounted on a young donkey. It's exactly what we see Jesus doing here. This is the exact fulfillment of something that was foretold of this coming king, this coming anointed one, this Christ, 500 years earlier. And the second thing we see is um, Jesus' humble identification with humanity. And what we know through the Gospels is that throughout the life of Jesus, both his, from his birth to his death, we see that this Jesus, this king, was no stranger to the human condition. His incarnation, the divine, Philippians 2, descending and taking on human flesh, that was Jesus Christ playing by our rules. He didn't get a free pass. Listen, Jesus did not get a free pass out of poverty, out of suffering, out of lament and sorrow and grief and persecution and temptation, betrayal, abandonment, and death. No, this humble king, he faced and he endured all of those things. All of those things. And what we see in Isaiah 53, 53, uh, Isaiah 53, what we see is another messianic prophecy written centuries before Christ about what this Messiah would be like. And this is what we read in Isaiah 53, 2 through 5, talking of Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief, and, and, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by, smitten by God, and afflicted. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. That's the peace that this messianic king is ushering in for his people. And with his wounds, by his wounds, we are healed. What we learn here in this text in Isaiah, this messianic prophecy, is that this coming messianic king would not be a sheltered, dynastic, proud, aloof, palace kid who has no clue about what the real world is like. That's not this Jesus. This humble king, Jesus Christ, is unlike all other kings because he identifies with us in our weakness and in our poverty and in our brokenness. And he comes as a humble servant. He comes as a humble servant who comes not to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And that's the beauty of our King Jesus. Behold our King coming to you, both the lion and the lamb, both the victorious King and the humble servant. King Jesus 
and Lord and Savior. And so returning to our text, as Jesus moves westward from Bethany to Bethpage, down the slope of the Mount of Olives, we see this progressive buildup of the crowd, progressive buildup of their excitement as his disciples are proclaiming his uh, uh, praises out of, their, out of their mouth to this Messiah, this King. And this is what we see in verses 37 through 38. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen this Jesus do, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so what we immediately see, again in this text, is that you know, I think if we're just reading through Luke 19 in our quiet times, we can gloss over it and be like, oh, Jesus was heading into Jerusalem just naturally, and paparazzi got word of it, and everyone came and was just gathering around him. Everyone was excited to see Jesus. This is not a mere commute of a, of a rabbi. This is what's taking place here is a coronation of a king. This is the coronation day of Jesus Christ. There is no act. This was an intentional act of Jesus Christ. Cats out of the bag. Uh, a few days before he, he goes to the cross and dies and rises to new life, he is saying, I am the Messiah. The wait is over. I, I, I'm him. The wait is over. And this is what we see in Psalm 118, 26, um, uh, what the people are, 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 are praising Jesus with. What they're, what they're crying out to Jesus is Psalm 118, verse 26, which is this Psalm, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the context of that psalm is this. It was a blessing addressed to the king as he would approach the temple in Jerusalem. That's what people would, they would bless the king as he approaches the temple in Jerusalem. So nobody here in this coronation is saying, blessed is the prophet, blessed is a good moral teacher. They're declaring the kingly rule of Jesus over the people of God. They're saying that you are the Messiah, the ambiguity. There is no ambiguity of what is taking place here. And in Matthew's account, in Matthew 21, verse 9, we see uh, the crowds also crying out this. And the crowds that went before Jesus and that followed Jesus were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. What that word Hosanna kind of literally means is God save us. God save us. But in the first century, that was a one-word praise, a one-word praise to God as deliverer. And so when the crowds are crying out to Jesus, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna in the highest, they're pray- this, is what, this is what they're doing. They're praising God. For, de- for, for the deliverance that is coming through this Davidic king, this messianic king who's marching towards Jerusalem. And they weren't just praising him with their lips or praising him with their actions. And what we see these crowds, these people do, man, is they, they take off their cloaks, take off their north face, and uh, acknowledging the lordship of Jesus, they throw their cloaks in front of him and the donkey, saying, these roads are not fit for a king. Let's, let's create a royal, a royal red carpet for this king who's coming into the Lord's city on this day. And so they were throwing their cloaks at his feet, creating a royal red carpet. And then uh, others in the crowd broke off palm branches uh, and were waving him at Jesus as they were saying, Hosanna in the highest. And um, palm branches were the traditional sign of peace and uh, a peace that was often brought about through military victory. And so the crowds here are anticipating Jesus coming to break the yoke of Roman oppression over God's people. And that's, I mean, that's what they're thinking. If this Jesus can raise the dead, 
and heal the sick. Surely he can break the, 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 the yoke of the bondage of, of Rome uh, off of God's people and, and establish God's reign and rule from Jerusalem. Surely, and that's what these crowds anticipated. Uh, and, and what we see is that these same crowds that were crying out, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, a few days later would be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And so all that to say is this, is that in our text, what Jesus does here on Palm Sunday is he leaves no room for doubt or confusion or ambiguity about his identity, who he was, and what he came to do. He's boldly declaring himself as the messianic king, the one anointed by God, the one sent by God to deliver God's people from their oppression and establish his reign over them and rule over them in peace for all of eternity. And this is and, and we know this because of the way the Pharisees respond to Jesus. So the, not everyone that day was happy about what was taking place. And so we see in verse 39, um, uh, verse 39 uh, says this, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke your disciples. Total buzzkill. They wanted to shut the place down, right? Uh, classic, I mean, this is par for the course for the Pharisees, the, the religious experts. Uh, they knew their Old Testament scriptures. Uh, they would have memorized the first five books of the law, and they knew exactly what Jesus was doing here. That's why they were, that's why they were uh, uh, so angry uh, uh, about this. And they, of course, elected themselves as the theology police, and, and they were the ones who decided who was the Messiah and who, and who was not. But they knew what Jesus was doing. This was his coronation day. He was claiming to be the Messiah. And they're saying, Jesus, this is utter blasphemy. How dare you do this? You need to shut this party down right now and turn to all of your disciples and say, this is wrong. Do not cry out and praise to me. I'm not the guy. Just shut this thing down. That's what they were, that's what they were doing. I mean, they were angry, right? And I love the response of Jesus in verse 40 to the Pharisees. Man, this is good. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. That, I think, has to be one of the most audacious claims historically made by any man. Uh, if, if, if these people were not crying out their praises to me, these very rocks would. Oh my gosh, I love that. And there's two things I think that Jesus is hinting at here or even boldly declaring here. One, Jesus is saying, even if humanity fails to acknowledge my lordship over everything, to fails to acknowledge me as the king of kings and the lord of lords, creation still will. Creation is still proclaiming every single day my glory. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And verse 2 says, day after day, creation pours forth speech to God uh, with, with his, his beauty, his existence, his glory, his majesty. This morning, it was wild. So my kids, uh, uh, there's this duck pond that we, we walk to and uh, feed the ducks, and there's these two ducks. And somehow, like you have to walk like over half a mile, somehow we woke up this morning, and the two ducks were in our front yard. It was wild, like absolutely wild. And so my kids lost their minds, right? And we're, we had Hawaiian rolls, and so we're, we're feeding them Hawaiian rolls, which are, are delicious, and they, they'll probably be coming back every morning now. But I couldn't help but just give praise to God. One, that was just such a blessing to my kids. Um, but then, two, you just, it, 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 creation, church, creation. 
the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, the beauty, the, the design written all over us is daily singing praises to God and his beauty and his wonder and his glory, right? That's what Jesus is saying, is that these rocks know who I am. I created these rocks. All things were created by me. All things were created through me. And all things were created for me because I'm Lord of lords. I'm creator, right? And then the second thing I think we see, we, Jesus is hinting at here is not just that the rocks would cry out when, human, when, when humanity is silent in glory and praise to their creator, but secondly, Jesus is hinting at the cosmic scope and scale of his redemptive work. This is what I believe he's hinting at. Because what we know is that the work that Jesus Christ came to do was not just reconcile humanity back to God, which, which is amazing and which he has done, right? But the scope of the redemptive and reconciling work of Jesus is far greater than that, far grander than that. It is cosmic. What we know is that all of creation, because of what Jesus has done for us, uh, all of creation, stones included, will be set free from the curse of sin and restored back to their original purpose. The work that Christ came to do was to, to, to reestablish the shalom that we see in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2 and establish God's peacely reign and rule. Creation will be redeemed, will be redeemed. There'll be peace with God and man, peace with man with man, and peace with man with creation. This is what Paul, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 19 through 22. For creation... Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is anticipating this day when, we'll be, when, the, when the, the, the yoke and the, the oppression of the curse of sin will be, will be loosed off of us. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What the Apostle Paul is saying in that text is this. All of creation from humanity to rocks will be liberated from the curse of sin thanks to Jesus Christ. Everything's getting uh, renewed and restored and reconciled back to God. And what Jesus is hinting at here when he says, even the rocks cry out, is as I believe he's hinting at, he's saying, these rocks know what's coming. They're anticipating Right, And so even if these crowds were silent, they know the day is coming. They know, and they would cry out, I think is what Jesus is saying, showing us the scope and scale of his redemptive work. And so church, that is great news for us this morning, right? That is great news that Jesus is in the business of making all things new and all things right. Thanks to our humble King Jesus, there's a day coming, church, when there will be no more gripping sorrow watching a loved one pass away. No more natural disasters. No more global pandemics. No more economic crisis or poverty. No more vitriolic hatred of each other. No more lockdowns. No more quarantines. Because we will all one day be living in perfect harmony with a creation that is fully restored and liberated from the curse of sin. That's the work that Jesus Christ came to do, and that's what he's on his way to do in Jerusalem. So what we learn with this triumphal entry of King Jesus into the gates of Jerusalem, it's his triumphal entry into the gates of Jerusalem that is the only reason you and I have the hope of a triumphal entry into the gates of heaven one day. And here's what we know. 
is that Jesus Christ knew what was waiting for him in that city. Jesus Christ knew a few days what was going to go down in Jerusalem, in and around Jerusalem. And yet, and yet what we see with our humble king is this, is that Jesus Christ didn't reroute the procession. He didn't turn back, but he selflessly and humbly marched towards the battle that awaited him there to fully, listen, he marched towards the battle that awaited him there to fully and finally defeat creation's greatest tyrannical oppressors and liberate all of us, rocks included, from this sin-cursed, demonically infiltrated, death-laden world that we live in. And therefore, we praise him for that. And we say, Hosanna to the highest. Thank you, Jesus, for the hope you give us that one day you're gonna make all things right. And, you, and, and the kingdom of God is broken in. We already see the first fruits of the kingdom of God breaking into this sin-soaked world, and, and, and yet it's not yet here. The, that tension of the already and not yet, and we're all feeling that right now. But mark my words, this is a fact. There's a day coming where he will, when he will make all things right. And there's a key detail in this text as I slowly wrap up my message here, that this text, the author Luke, goes into great detail to let us know. And, and it's the fact that this young colt, this young donkey that Jesus rode in on had never been ridden before. Why, why is that important for these authors, these gospel authors to, to highlight for us that this donkey was never ridden before? This is what Sinclair Ferguson says. He says, the animals used in the Old Testament system of worship were invariably those which had not been employed in secular business. The animals used in the Old Testament system of worship were invariably those which had not been employed in secular business. Hidden in the very heart of the symbolism was the message that Jesus had come to give his life as a ransom sacrifice for men's lives. Hidden in the very heart of the symbolism was the message that Jesus Christ came to give his life as a sacrifice for men's lives. And so what we learn here of why that detail is important is we learn that this innocent, spotless cult was carrying the innocent, spotless Lamb of God who was to be sacrificed for your sins and mine, for your sins and mine, breaking the curse of sin over us by becoming a curse for us and setting us free from our captivity to sin and death. And Isaiah 53 says this, that this Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter, was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And so in our text, we've seen the, the lordship of Jesus on this historic day where he entered into Jerusalem. And we've seen his humility, but also there's an, there's an invitation of Jesus to all of us here today. There's this anticipated response today for the reader of this text. Will you today lay down your cloak in reverence for this humble king and cry out to him to save you? Will you, will you let the rocks cry out in your place or will you cry out to him today? and thanksgiving, and gratitude, maybe for the first time in your life, trust for him to save you? And it begs the question, what kind of people cry out for salvation and deliverance? You want to know the kind of people that cry out for salvation and deliverance? It's those who are tired, and worn out, and scared, and oppressed, and who have exhausted every other option of liberating themselves from their bondage to sin, death, and despair. That's who cries out. It's those who, who know, thanks to God the Holy Spirit, uh, convicting them that they need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. He's the only way the only truth, the only life. And that's your greatest need today. If you haven't done this, this is our, everyone's greatest need in your life is to take off your cloak, a cloak symbolizing your lordship over your life, 
Your failed attempts to rescue and save yourself and to lay, to, to lay down that cloak at the humble feet of Jesus Christ, your King, acknowledging Him as both your Lord and Savior, the only one, listen, the only one who can give you hope beyond the grave, the only one who can break the chains of sin and addiction in your life, the only one who's mighty to save, the only one who can raise the dead and make all things new, this Jesus is who is, is, who is crying out to us today uh, in this text, saying, lay down your cloaks at my feet. And like we sang earlier, this Jesus will give us everything, and the everything he gives us is himself, the salvation restoring us to God, our true purpose, why we were created, to know God and be known by God, adopting us as sons and daughters, our sins forever forgiven, and we're going to get to reign and rule forever with him in peace. It's a free gift that this Jesus uh, brought, brought, brought about for us, wrought about for us through his, through his sacrificial death and resurrection. It's a free gift for you today. He's the only one. There is salvation in no one else. Would you lay down your cloaks at his feet this morning? And I'll conclude with Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things. That through death, Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death. Isn't that, isn't that the best news in the world? That because of this Jesus triumphed over death, you and I can triumph over death and face the grave with hope and confidence, knowing that this Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He sits above all rulers, all authority, all, all power, all dominion. He is king and he has conquered death so that we can cry out like 1 Corinthians 15 and say, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Our Lord Jesus Christ has rendered you defeated. You're a defeated foe. Jesus likewise partook of the same things, that through his sacrificial death, this spotless lamb might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and listen to verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. If you're here today, man, you don't know the freedom whom the Son, Jesus Christ, sets free is free indeed. Is free indeed. If you're, if you're dialing in today, tuning in today, and you don't know this freedom that Jesus brings, there's, there's no one and nothing like it. He's the only one who can break the chains of sin over your life and death over your life and set you free and give you life everlasting and abundantly. Oh, cry out to him today, saying, God, save me. God, save me. Forgive me. I want to know you. I want to be forgiven. I want to, I want to be with you forever. And he, he will, he, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on his name today. Throw your cloak down. Say, Jesus, your Lord, I'm not. I trust in you for my salvation. You're, would you do that today, please? I implore you, 2 Corinthians 5, we implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God this morning. And he will, mark my words, he will set you free. So let's pray. Call up the band here. And what I'll do is uh, I'm just going to go silent for a little bit and give you guys who are tuning in just a moment to respond to the message uh, just to, if you're here today and, you already, and you have already tasted and seen the redemptive work of Christ in your life, and you've seen that he is good, 
and that, that God the Father has given you all things in Christ Jesus, would you just humbly, would you just go to him and thank him for that today? Would you praise him even in spite of, forget about everything that's going on around us. Would you, would you quiet your heart before the Lord today? And if you're gathered with your families, would you all pray together, pray over your kids, just thanking God for his, his love for you, that this humble king uh, marches towards the grave so you don't have to. So you, can, so, you can, so you can march towards the grave victoriously. Would you do that today? So I'm create space for us to uh, approach this humble king today who is as near to you as you could ever imagine. So would you cry out to him today? And then uh, once a minute or so goes by, then I'll, I'll close us in prayer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Father, we come before you grateful for your salvation in Christ Jesus. Come before you grateful for your love for us that while we were sinners, that Jesus, you marched towards the cross for us and died for your enemies. You died for those who are yelling, crucify you. You died for those who are spitting in your face and mocking you. You prayed for your enemies on the cross. You said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And you looked at the thief on the cross who cried out to you on that day. A thief. And he cried out to you to save him. And Jesus, you looked at him and you said, today you will be with me in paradise. Mm. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you that you're mighty to save. We thank you that you reign and rule over pandemics. You reign and rule over the curse of sin and death, triumphantly, victoriously, Jesus, that you're king. And you're not a defeated king. You're not a defeated Messiah. You didn't stay put in the grave when they crucified you. But you shot out of that grave victoriously, declaring that sin, death, and the devil no longer have any hold on us. What a hope we have in you, Christ Jesus. Our Savior, our Rescuer, our Deliverer, and yet, and yet you give us the right to call you 
friend. Friend. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Take your glory this morning. Set your church on fire and love for you and gratitude for you. May we resolve today to not let the stones cry out in praise and adoration in our place. Because you're worthy for what you've already done, for what you're presently doing in our lives, and what one day you will do, making all things new. So we thank you. Thank you. And for anyone dialing in and watching this who has not, has not bent their knee to this beautiful, humble king, would you do that today, right where you're at? Would you bend your knee to Jesus? Declare him as Lord and ask him to be your savior, your rescuer, your deliverer, and he will radically, powerfully change your life forever. In John 10, he says, I come to give you life, life abundantly, life everlasting. There's nowhere else to find, to find the true life that only this Jesus can give you. Cry out to him in faith today. So we come before you, thanking you with mouths full of praise, Jesus, laying our cloaks at your feet, and saying thank you for being our deliverer, our rescuer, for saving those like me who are completely incapable of saving themselves. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. All right, well, the way we respond to the message here, we're going to um, sing one last song, not letting the stones cry out in our place today. So at home with your family, man, belt it out. Let your neighbors next door hear you proclaiming the praises of your king on this Palm Sunday today. And if you feel inclined to give, you can go online, uh, transitchurch.com, give online, or uh, if you want to mail us a check, P.O. Box as well. Um, and, 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 that's, and, and we worship with our wallets, church, even in the midst of this crisis. Um, we worship with our wallets, throwing our cloaks uh, at, at, at the feet of King Jesus, saying that he is the owner of all things, right? And let us be generous with our lips and with our deeds, uh, our words and our deeds today. And so we'll sing one, one last song, and then I'll close us with a benediction.